Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Friday, August 9th, 2019. I'm your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Locked on Spartans, fourth and final one of the week. Uh, another four episode uh, week next week, and then we will shift to five after that as we are getting closer and closer. Just what? Uh, 21, yeah, 21 days away, three weeks from tonight. Uh, Michigan State will be taking on Tulsa and two weeks from tomorrow. Uh, the college football season kicks off. So, like, guys, we are so close. <laughs> we are so close uh, to college football being back on today's show. Uh, I sat down and talked with Brad Salem, new offensive coordinator for Michigan State, a little bit at Big Ten, or not Big Ten, at Michigan State's football media days. I uh, just asked him a couple questions about some offensive philosophy things and, and you know, things along that line. I knew he wasn't going to get into specifics, but I just wanted to get an idea of kind of how he thinks about a couple of things. So uh, we'll do that in the first segment. Depending on how long that goes, that might stretch into segment two. Uh, I want to give some thoughts and reaction to what he said and just kind of expand on his ideas. It's not anything groundbreaking or... Um, some things we haven't talked about before, but I just kind of want to uh, add on to his thoughts and, and add some of my own there. So you'll see what I'm talking about, uh, but we'll do that in the first segment. Uh, then time pending, time pending, I don't even know, depending on time, <laughs> depending on time after that, uh, Athlon Sports ran a piece uh, talking about, well, it's not talking about, it's just anonymous quotes from coaches in the Big Ten about their opponents. And I found the the quotes about Michigan State to be particularly interesting, and I have uh, some thoughts on those as well. And then, like I said, depending on that first segment, if it stretches into segment two, uh, we'll see. But if we have time for a, a different topic in the third segment, uh, I want to talk about Michigan State's front seven. Uh, there was a tweet out there today from somebody uh, you know, that studies football, giving some praise to the linebacking group. And I just want to kind of talk about them as a unit and just, uh, the expectations for them, because it's, uh, it's going to be pretty outstanding this season. That's the plan for today's show. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you don't do that already, subscribing is the easiest way to get these episodes on your phone every single day. And, you know, like I always say, wherever you find podcasts, you can find Locked on Spartans. If you would wouldn't mind, head on over to iTunes, leave a five star rating as well. That helps with the uh, the old iTunes ranking al- algorithm. And any time we can spend uh, being ranked helps uh, tremendously. Let's see what else uh, on Spartans Wire right now. I had a piece go up yesterday. Uh, we're doing Goat Week on Spartans Wire. Um, we had coaches, we had quarterbacks, we had teams, the greatest teams of all time, greatest coaches, quarterbacks. Yesterday I did running backs, which was an absolutely brutal, uh, <laughs> brutal exercise. There were like 17 running backs that I had to consider for five spots. It was just too much, um, but really popular piece. A lot of people sharing it, a lot of feedback, a lot of people giving their thoughts. So if you want to check that out, SpartansWire.USAToday.com. And depending on when you listen to this, the championship round for the MSU gift tournament uh, will be up. Uh, spoiler alert. Well, not really. I mean, it's probably already up, but uh, the, ch- you know, what? I'm not even going to tell you the gifts. Go check it out. SpartansWire.USAToday.com. The final game, the final matchup <clears throat> to determine the greatest Michigan State gift of all time this year. Um, 
spartanswire.usatoday.com. So definitely check that out. And like I mentioned yesterday, uh, still taking uh, like requests. If you want to come on the show and go through the schedule game by game like Graham did uh, and yesterday's show and go through the schedule with me and give your predictions, uh, I will give you guys the opportunity to do that. I think it would be a fun way to fill some time here the next couple of weeks as we start heading towards actual football being played. All right, that's the end of the homework segment. Now let's start the podcast and uh, get to this Brad Salem stuff. Okay, so a lot of interest around Brad Salem, a lot of interest around the Michigan State offense, a lot of interest around changes. I talked to you guys after media day about how everyone was kind of playing coy with like a winking kind of, uh, I don't know, a winkiness, if you will. If I had to describe everyone's attitude toward it, it was a winky attitude. It was, um, you know, Mark D'Antonio made a joke about it. Brian Lewerke was asked about the secrecy and he, he played played dumb what secrecy what are you talking about secrecy so it's clear that they're sort of up to something we don't know you know if they're just kind of messing with everyone or if there are actual changes that we're going to see there are that are are there real things they're keeping under wraps it's always been a secretive program and uh you know nothing's going to change with that under d'antonio so uh, i i got the chance at Media Days, they do these roundtables, and Brad Salem was, of course, there, uh, and I actually got to sit with him, uh, and, you know, I think there were a couple other reporters there, and then they all kind of bailed, and I got in and was able to ask a couple of questions, uh, which was really great, and I, I knew he wouldn't give up, you know, what's the offense going to look like, uh, what, what, uh, what plays are you going to run, are you going to run more RPOs this year, are you going to run Brian more this year? Uh, I knew he wasn't going to answer specifics like that. He was going to do the D'Antonio thing. You don't want to keep it in the bag. Uh, so I thought it would be better to just ask him some philosophy type things. What does he think about this? We've heard about this. What? How does this matter? Because I think someone like Salem, who's been around the game, who's been uh, an offensive play caller, a head coach at different levels, now is an offensive coordinator at uh, a top division one football program. That's an offensive mind that you can learn something from. And it's good to just sort of uh, be able to ask philosophy type questions and get answers. I think they're interesting. And I think if you want to learn a little bit about football, things to watch, uh, you know, you can, if you get the chance to talk to people like Brad Salem, you should, you know, take that opportunity. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. So this first sound clip here, uh, I ask him about uh, tempo. I ask him about how, Using tempo can impact a defense, how it impacts the offense, and just sort of the way it can be deployed in a game. I think the one thing with tempo is it actually it simplifies both sides. I think it forces you to simplify offensively, but it also simplifies them a little bit defensively just because time and getting plays off. But we'll be in and out of different you know, tempos and things like that. But um, you know, I think it's something that has been a good change for us in spring fall. You can sort of, even with a question as innocuous as how does tempo impact something, you can sort of hear the tendency there. If it was a different setting, if I knew uh, Brad Salem better, um, if it was, uh, you know, if he's at a clinic or something like that, talking to different coaches, you probably could have got a much more uh, thorough answer. But I liked uh, a couple of things from it. First, just the the way he described how it simplifies things. Uh, I think that's really something important to note with tempo because uh, when it comes to Michigan State and predictability and the sort of slow 
plotting nature at times the offensive has had in terms of tempo. It's become very predictable. And when you play fast and you simplify things, they sort of it's like a chicken and the egg combo, hand in hand. They they go with each other. Going fast allows you to or forces you to simplify, which allows you to go fast, which forces you to simplify, which allows you to go fast. Sort of, and we repeat the cycle over and over and over again. Uh, but if you're running effective plays and you're doing it quickly and you're used to using tempo like that, and you're able to just know, like, and you would see this all the time with Baylor. You would see this all the time with Oregon. You see it with Clemson. You can see it at times with Ohio State. Uh, different, you know, name an explosive offense that's using tempo. UCLA is going to be doing it with Chip Kelly. Rich Rod's offenses always, always use this as a weapon. When you're able to play fast, uh, play more simplified, and have things that just work, you know what you're doing, you go out and you do it really quickly, and you do it over and over and over again like that when you're using tempo, uh, I think that bodes really well for an offense. And then you factor that in, a factor in with that, that a defense is also forced to simplify. They can't get in different play calls. They can't be as diverse as they want to. They don't get as much time to dissect a look like a middle linebacker, seeing how you're lining up, you know, knowing the down and distance, diagnosing motion and things like that, making calls from there. You've got secondary calls, switching coverages in the middle of, uh, you know, the pre-snap sort of back and forth chess match. And anytime you're going quicker, the defense knows that they're, they have to adapt to that. They have to move quickly. They can't sub guys in and out or they risk getting penalties. They have to just kind of run more base stuff and have simple checks off of that based on looks. And when you have that, and when you, if you study well enough and say, all right, you know, we're in third and long, uh, they, you know, have been checking to this type of play call, play coverage and third. They're checking into man on every third and down and long when we go with tempo. Let's run a man beater here. Let's go tempo on third and long and run a man beater on this next drive. Uh, and then you're set up kind of one step ahead of them as you go into the next drive. So it allows you to force the defense into more predictable things. It, it limits their options uh, and they become more predictable because of limited options. You're not you know, having to diagnose as, as much when you're using tempo like that. And I think that's something that you know he mentioned. It's been a good change for them in the spring. I'm assuming they're continuing to do it uh, here throughout the fall. And it's not going to be uh, you know, all NASCAR tempo here. They're going to be going in and out of different tempos, like he said, and using it at different times. And we've seen Michigan State use tempo in two-minute situations. Uh, at the end of the half, at the end of the game when it's necessary. And I think uh, we'll start to see it a little bit more. I think we saw it a little bit more in the Red Box Bowl, along with you know pistol formation, some zone blocking, which we also saw uh, in the in the spring game. And that sort of stuff uh, you know, allows for a quicker offense, allows for you to run a different set of plays that are similar in nature. You're still running power schemes. Uh, you're still trying to run between the tackles. You're still trying to set up play action, but you're just going about it in a different way. And I think Michigan State if they use tempo a little bit more, go faster more often as opposed to predictable tempo situations, that could be a real benefit to them. And I'm interested to see how it plays out. I think it'll be something that they incorporate more this season, just kind of reading the tea leaves and and the quotes you get from players and coaches. Uh, And I'm interested to see how that works out because I think that's a slight tweak. Uh, Like I've been saying here, uh, I think it's a slight tweak that that can pay dividends for an offense that really just needs 
kind of a, a kick in the ass at times. Uh, and I think using tempo as a weapon is a, a simple way for them to sort of achieve that. All right, let's take a break right there. I thought that first one might go long, but that's okay. We'll uh, continue with more sound from uh, Brad Salem after this quick break. Hey, fantasy football players, you got to make sure you're listening to Vinny Iyer and the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Don't listen to the same podcast as everyone else because then you're just getting the same information as everyone else. And you're all going to have the same info and nobody's getting a step up. Get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and keep you ahead all season long. Locked on Fantasy Football can be found on your favorite podcast provider. All right, welcome back to segment two of today's Locked on Spartans. Let's uh, continue on with uh, the other quote that I want to use here from talking with Brad Salem. And it's basically the same question that I asked uh, just on... Instead of tempo, uh, motion, pre-snap uh, shifts, and you know different things to get guys moving on the defense before the snap to help quarterbacks do uh, uh, make their job of diagnosing the offense and receivers to give everyone a better picture of you know what the defense might be doing pre-snap. Which the more information you can get before the snap, the less you have to digest, and diagnose, and react to after the snap. So here's his response to that. I think you still need to do that, you know, still got to do that stuff. I, anything you can do that just gets the defense at least have to react different, to something different. Not that you're stagnant, you line up, you run your plays, but any movement shift you're going to do to put yourself in an advantageous situation. And that exact sentiment is something that I think uh, a lot of Michigan State fans uh, have expressed, have felt uh, over the last couple of years at times. Uh, Michigan State is a line it up, run the run the play. Uh, just line up, run the play, line up, run the play. Um, and they don't really, you know, you you will rarely see in a Michigan State game in, in previous years uh, a running back motioning from the backfield into the slot out into a, a pass route. An obvious, you know, clear out the backfield and go empty. Or, you know, go out empty and then shift back in. Uh, you'll see a lot of uh, H-back motion with Michigan State, uh, some fullback motion as well, that sort of side-to-side shuffling uh, that you get from a, a run blocker generally, and that you know can be used uh, effectively in terms of getting a guy into position, get, giving someone the angle to make the necessary block on a run play, or to uh, help kind of set up that run action to establish play action. And, you know, that's well and good, but that's not, enough, at least for me um, and, and many people who, who are fans of Michigan State, many fans of Michigan State, that I, I just always want to see more motion pre-snap, more shifts, different, you know, a, a more diverse set of motions, moving receivers around, moving people back and forth, moving guys in and out of the backfield, uh, you know, shifting tight ends, shifting a tight end in line out to the slot. You know, different stuff like that, so it's not uh, more predictable. And when you do that, you can get defenses to react. You know, when you're shifting an H-back inside, um, maybe you'll get a, a shift from the defensive line. Maybe linebackers will take a half step here or there. The secondary is not moving on that type of motion generally. Um, maybe a safety is taking a couple steps down into the box because the, the H-back is shifting his way, switching from strong side on one side of the defense to the other side, and that'll creep him down into the box a little bit, you know, based on uh, tendencies and, you know, 
other pre-snap reads that a defense might be uh, making based off film study. But when you diversify the motion, uh, the shifts, when you're doing different things, when you're aligning a little bit differently, same formation but different guys in different spots, it forces the defense to have to uh, process more information than when you just line up and run the play. If it was me and if I was in charge of an offense, uh, I would at least, you know, I'm not going to act like I have all the answers, but I would at least explore the idea of always having somebody in motion, always shifting somebody, always doing something to just give a slightly different look so that the defense is having to try to diagnose and figure out things, figure out if this is just window dressing, is this actually, um, you know, helping them diagnose the play, is this a leading thing, are they being faked out, it just... The more you can sort of throw at a defense, the more window dressing you you can put on it, the more action you can put in front of a defense's face before the snap, the more they've got to sort of process. And I think any time you can do that, any time you can make a defense have to think more, not just read and react, which is kind of the the goal. You, you make your read and then you react and, and get to your coverage, get to your run fit, do whatever your job is on, on the specific play. The more you can make them think, maybe try to make a call late in the snap, like right before the snap, try to shift coverage, try to shift, uh, you know, if somebody's blitzing, maybe trying to audible out of it because you're in a bad spot, you're making a linebacker, whoever's making the calls, the safety in the secondary, you're making them have to process more information uh, and they're not able to just line up and play. When you're lining up and playing on offense, that means you can just line up and play on defense. And the big advantage that offenses always have in football forever is that they know the snap count and they know the play. (laughs) The defense has to figure it out on the fly. And the more you can do to make it harder for them to figure that stuff out by using different motions, using different shifts, window dressing, uh, the more you can do that, the better it's going to be on your offense. And it doesn't have to change who you are. It doesn't have to change the style of offense you want to run. It doesn't have to change that you, you know, Michigan State wants to control the ball. They want to run the ball. Brad Salem ran spread type things at Augustana, but they still ran the ball. They still wanted to run the ball. He had one of the most prolific uh, rushing seasons. One of his teams had the most prolific rushing seasons in school history while he was there. Uh, they want to run the ball. Oregon is a spread, or Oregon under Chip Kelly, the, the Chip Kelly offense, the Rich Rod offense. Those are all predicated on finding different ways to run the ball, and that's something that Michigan State's always going to want to do. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we see spread, we think spread, we think passing, we think run and shoot, uh, and that's just not what Michigan State's going to be. They want to possess the ball, they want to run it x amount of times, they want to run it efficiently, and they want to play great defense, and doing things like motioning in and out, shifting, using tempo, the the things we we've been talking about here the last 15 minutes, those don't change who you are as an offense. They don't change what you want to do. They're just more for the defense to process. They're just little wrinkles to toss in to make life harder on a defense which in turn makes life easier on your offense. You can still run it up the middle on first and 10, but give, you know, even if you're just motioning guys, swapping guys in and out, running a running back out to the slot and back in the backfield just to run freaking power up the middle. At least you're doing that. You're making the defense move. You're making the defense think. You're making the defense have to react, think of different tendencies, go through the process. What did I watch in film? What does this mean? What do they do? What is coming at me? And it's not just line up and attack because that when a defense can just line up and, and attack, uh, life is much easier. When Michigan State is playing a team that 
window dresses that does all these different things. It's always tougher than when they're playing Iowa. I would rather play Iowa a hundred times out of a hundred. And it's not because Iowa is bad. Iowa's had very good teams, but I know that Michigan state knows what Iowa is going to do based on film study, based on just what Iowa has always done on offense. And I'm sure it's this way for Michigan state on the other side, Michigan state's offense teams want to play Michigan state's offense as opposed to an offense. Like it's not even a skill level thing. It's not a talent thing. It's just, it's sometimes oversimplified. And, you know, when Michigan State is playing Iowa, I know the defense and the defensive staff know exactly what's coming based on different looks. When they play something like someone like Utah State, it's all bets are off. Like last season, you're just like, what the hell are they doing? Like, oh my gosh, these, the, these designs are crazy. They're having to adjust. You could see at times it looks different than they thought it was going to look. And it's just, despite the fact that Michigan State had this wild talent advantage over a team like Utah State, They were able to effectively move the ball on them. And we've seen stuff like that time and time again in college football. And a lot of it is just simple wrinkles like using tempo as a weapon, using shifts more often, using motion to help yourself diagnose and keep the defense on its heels so they're not just leaning forward, coming at you, lining up and playing. Uh, The more that Michigan State can do that, the more that Brad Salem uh, can design his offense with that in mind, I think the more successful they'll be. I think, and that's not just a Michigan State thing. I think that's just a general offensive football philosophy that I have. And I think a lot of people who know a hell of a lot more about football than me uh, feel the same way because you see it year in and year out. The best offenses in college football and pro football, any football really, uh, are using those things to their advantage. All right, let's take a break right there when we get back uh i guess we'll finish off with this athlon story some interesting quotes about michigan state from opposing coaches in the big 10 guys the new locked on nfl podcast is absolutely on fire last week it was one of the most listened to nfl shows in all of nfl podcast you get the expert analysis of former nfl scout matt williamson and the show is now hosted by brian peacock they got that thing sort of settled out like you got the the host and the analyst type thing that you get with a two-man booth uh in football or basketball or whatever sport you're watching they got that in here on locked on nfl and it's been going really well you get matt's unique take on the game you know longtime nfl scout so check that out if you're looking for a daily nfl podcast or just a just a NFL podcast in general. Follow Locked On NFL now on your favorite podcast provider. All right, welcome back to segment three of today's Locked On Spartans. So, Athlon Sports headline: Big Ten coaches talk anonymously, anonymously about conference foes for 2019. Uh, I don't even know how I said that. I want to go back and listen to how I just tried to say anonymously. Uh, Big Ten coaches talk anonymously about. Conference foes for 2019. Athlon does this, and uh, you get some interesting things out of it. People are more candid when they don't have to put their name to it. Um, I have mixed feelings about something like this because I think it allows people to kind of take cheap shots without putting their name to it. Um, you know, and I think Michigan State sees that some uh, some this year. There's been years past where, where all the quotes about Michigan State are absolutely glowing, and then there's some where it's just uh, not so great. So here's one that I, I found really interesting. It's the first one. Uh, this is a program that's never as bad as their record. That doesn't make sense. Michigan State has had like three seasons with not great records. Um, 
generally you hear they're not as good as their record. Like they win too many, they win a bunch of close games. Uh, they're lucky. They, they're a really good team, not a great team, but they win with a record like a great team. It's been a few years since they've done that, but found that to be interesting. Uh, that being said, the change in the division is starting to show and they can't dominate when the big three are clicking like they have been. Uh, okay. So in the last three years, Michigan state has been, about a 500 or so team, uh, you know, they go three and nine, they bounce back with 10 and three, and then they go seven and six last year. Uh, in that time, well, actually, you know, let's, let's, I'm going to include 2015 because the big 10 or the big three clicking like they have been, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just make it the Jim Harbaugh era, right? So Michigan state wins the big 10 goes to college football playoff that year. Everything's fine. Uh, a couple of years later, they win 10 games as well, so everything's doing all right there. Last year, we'll see if that was kind of a throwaway fluky thing or a sign of things to come. But uh, Michigan State, against the, the quote-unquote big three since they've all been clicking. Uh, so, you know, the last four years, uh, the, the Jim Harbaugh era, Michigan State is 2-2 two and two against Michigan, so that's okay. They are 3-1 and one against Penn State, doing all right there. Uh, and they're 1-3 and three against Ohio State which is uh, one more win than Michigan has had over Ohio State in that same time period. Uh, and they beat Ohio State on their field. It was a top five Ohio State team uh, on the road. So one of the more impressive Big Ten wins you'll see in the last decade. Uh, they've got that under their belt. Yeah, uh, last season wasn't great. The 2016 season was an unmitigated disaster. They uh, beat Michigan and Penn State in 2017. So it was just a year ago that they went two and one against the big three. So I found that to be a little bit curious. I feel like that might've been a a quote from Jim Harbaugh. You know, this seems like something he might say, uh, they can't dominate when the big three are clicking like they have been. Um, I think they've taken a step back compared to when they were dominating. Um, Ohio state was certainly clicking, uh, when Michigan state was running things. Uh, Michigan State made the college football playoff when uh, Jim Harbaugh was there. James Franklin had Penn State humming along, recruiting top 10 classes every year, and Michigan State was still winning the conference. So, yeah, last year wasn't great. Two of the last three seasons are are pretty forgettable. Um, But let's not, you know, anonymous coach act like uh, Michigan State is folding up the program here. Um, I think this coach might consider changing uh, his tune after this season, we'll see uh, with Michigan State bringing back the conference best defense and an offense that should be improved. And if they're hopefully healthy, you know, it's going to be a team that wins nine or 10 games, probably beats Penn State and has a chance to beat Michigan or Ohio State. We'll see how that shakes out. But if Michigan State goes two and one against those three teams this season, I wouldn't be surprised about it. So a little bit of a premature dirt throwing on the grave uh, there from that anonymous coach. Here's the next one. I think at their best, MSU is similar to Iowa, but they have better athletes. Go to hell. Go to hell. <laughs> at their best is similar to Iowa. Come on. Go to hell. Like, it's so great. You Like, you have a little blip. Heaven forbid you have a little blip uh, and everything is just thrown away. I honestly hope uh, for, I don't, I guess I don't hope, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mark D'Antonio, like, if this got back to him, he just prints it up, blasts it on the wall. Just, your Iowa. Just paints, the repaints the locker room black and yellow. We're Iowa now. That's what everyone thinks you are. They're, they're Iowa. Uh, and he also says they, they're going to grind, this other, this coach says they're going to work you and grind you a lot of these uh, West teams. 
Uh, maybe that's the best identity when you're a have-not program in the East. Go to hell. <laughs> Go to hell. Have-not program. There's been two Big Ten teams to make the college football playoff. One of them's Michigan State. Go to hell. Uh, they play physically on offense. They play mad. They go all in, chip on your shoulder from recruiting all the way to game day. Um, that is nonsense. Offensively, they're a basic two-back run game, but they've been more creative about trick plays and throwing weird looks at you, but they haven't been as dominant running the football as they have in years past. That's true there. There's no dominant big guy at tailback. They've really underwhelmed at the position the last few years. Um I think that's kind of fair. They've been okay. LJ Scott had his moments, but sure, whatever. They're a little bit more open offensively than some of the grinder teams because they put a little bit better talent at skill positions. The best player on that team was Felton Davis. They got real athletes at receiver, but he was special. Special When you take him out of that offense, I don't think they win nearly as many games last year. Um, yeah, Felton Davis missed half the season. So I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, they're really good on their defensive line, really good with the defensive back. Defensively is where they set the tone. That seems like an understatement. Uh, they're still able to compete because they do a great job evaluating and developing. Uh, that's fair. I mean, they're okay at recruiting. Their recruiting classes are smaller than everyone's. We talk about it all the time, but generally based on average starts, it's top 20 class. Every year they just bring in 20 guys instead of 27, like Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State too. So that's, uh, how it works out. They want to beat you up right away in games. They really want to get physical, really press you on the line with the defensive backs. They play extremely hard out there, like a less talented team trying to compensate, but they have the speed and the length. Um, yeah, that's fair. That's a nice little way to assess it. They play like Iowa, but they're way better <laughs> than Iowa, uh, I guess. Maybe they are just Iowa. I don't know. Um, still feels like that's a little bit of a of a reach of a comparison. Um, yeah, they're, they're generally just a little bit less talented than Michigan, than Penn State, than Ohio State. Uh, I think the gap in terms of talent based on recruiting is much smaller than we would like to think. Yeah, those guys recruit somewhere between, you know, five and 15 national recruiting classes every year. Uh, sometimes, one, you know, Ohio State will slide into the top five. Uh, but the difference is from where they end up to where Michigan State ends up um, is, you know, a handful of guys, four guys are, you know, four stars instead of high three stars. That's kind of the major difference there. Um, you know, we're going to accept the year that is going on right now because Michigan State's recruiting class right now is kind of a long way off from what a Michigan State class under D'Antonio usually looks like. Um, you know, Michigan State's class uh, that they just pulled in had a five-star kid that I guess they dropped to a four-star or something like that because he, as soon as he signed with Michigan State, they dropped him to a four-star, Devontae Dobbs. Uh, but he's a five-star recruit, a really high five or really high four-star recruit in uh, Julian Barnett. And then, you know, just a, uh, another like lower four-star guy and a crap load of high three-stars. Like those kids are just, um, you know, but they might as well be four stars. They're they're technically three stars, but when you're getting kids that are top 400, top 500 players, the difference between the 500th best recruit and the 350th best recruit, I think, isn't all that large. And they're all developmental projects. So the talent gap, we like to overstate a, a little bit. We've seen plenty of Michigan State players uh, be very talented, be very high draft picks in the NFL. And, you know, that's kind of a, a great measure of talent, uh, so to speak. So, all right. That is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Spartans. Uh, we'll be back next week with four more new episodes starting on Monday. 
not totally sure what we're going to talk about at this point. We'll see if anything interesting happens. But we'll just kind of keep plodding along here, going through the pregame, pregame, the preseason type stuff, fully having fully shifted from offseason to preseason mode. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into the usual shenanigans that we get into here on Locked on Spartans. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Check out spartanswire.usatoday.com for my written work if you want to do that. Uh, follow me on Twitter at will underscore underscore hunter, one L two underscores. Thanks so much for listening to Locked on Spartans. We will see you next week.